everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And we are grinding through the specifics, chewing it up, spitting it out, and once in a while, coming up with a good idea based on this whole thing. <laughs> See, we're just breaking in on book five, Death Masks, of the <laughs> Dresden File series. Of course, this one written, directed, and produced <laughs> by <laughs> Jim Butcher. Published in 2003. Back then, he was really spitting these things out. Um Nowadays, they're a little bit less frequent, which allows bozos like us to spit out a podcast that's going to time perfectly, probably, maybe, for the release of one of the books. <laughs> it was all part of the plan. Awesome. Short of that, how you doing today, Liz? I'm doing okay. Hanging in there. I hear you. Man, I am uh, still waking up from a long week. I did just about squeeze out the uh, podcast on Sunday. It was late Sunday, but I did get it out. <laughs> um, as I mentioned in the last one, I had a big old tournament taking up the entirety of the week. I realized I shouldn't say that on the episode that's going to be late. I should say that on the episode before. So I'm going to say it again. I've got another week long tournament because um, we're participating in the 14 U or the 16 U regional qualifiers. We're not going to be as successful in that one, I don't think, but that's more just to get some games in. Um, so I have another big old five day tournament next week. So the one that you're listening to now should come out on Sunday, but the one following is going to be another tough, uh, tough one to squeeze out. But we always do our darndest. But uh, yeah, my team qualified for national championships. We got yay. Needed to get top four, and we got. Exactly that, which is a little unfortunate. There were some other opportunities in front of us, but we'll see. We got a good looking path through nationals. We got some teams that we've uh looking forward to bashing. That's awesome. Heads Where is yeah. the national tournament gonna be? Uh this year it is in Irvine area, Orange County, California. That's not too bad for you. Oh, it's great. So we still get a hotel and stuff just because it's a long that one's only four days, but it's a long it's a long four days. Four days. Oh, I'll yeah. bet. In uh, that was mid July, so we're probably gonna have to take a break. By probably, I mean there's no universe we get a podcast out that week. That's um, all right. But um, yeah, no, we'll uh, communicate as we get closer to that. But I'm delighted. Yeah, we kind of got smoked by some good teams. We didn't play our best, but we did the thing we came to do. We ticked the box. We punched our ticket. We got our dancing shoes all. Hey, that's awesome. Laced that's up, ready awesome. to tippy tap our way. Into Irvine. With a into the hearts of millions. <laughs> same chance as the other 47 teams to go home with the hardware. So, anything exciting in your universe? No, not something too crazy. I hear ya. I went um, ice skating last night and I think I pulled my groin, but other than that... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'm magical, what can I say? I'm actually surprised because you think that's something you would do just on your own two feet when you get other things under there they have to be more reliable than your own feet well see here's the thing i don't hurt myself with ice skating but my friend came with me and so i was you know i'd speed up and slow down and kind of skate with her she hasn't skated in 20 years mm -hmm. and i was trying to skate backwards a little bit <laughs> that might have been because well the thing is, is like 
for everybody out there in podcast land, I'm the biggest klutz on the planet. I trip over my own feet. I trip over patterns and carpet. You name it. I've hurt myself on it. But I'm very coordinated in the water. I can't roller skate to save my life, but I can ice skate. Don't know why. And I think it is because there's water. <laughs> it's related to the water in some way. And I'm a pretty decent ice skater. So that is just how the world works. Fair enough. <laughs> it's the strangest thing in the whole wide world. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I'm uh, not the most acrobatic, so I'm not one to talk. But <laughs> of the five of us, we are definitely four and five in the grace department. Of our oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of the yeah. That's why mom calls me Grace. Has since I was a kid. Oh, goodness gracious. And it's definitely irony. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, in-universe, we just finished the novel, so there's not really a whole lot going on here. But uh, we've mm-hmm. got Harry is a wizard. <laughs> uh, no, we, we're coming off of basically saving the world from the fairy courts. We're still at war with the Red Court of Vampires. Mm-hmm. We still have uh, a few mysteries floating around that we'll get into real quick here. Short of that, I think I'll just dive right into chapter one, unless uh, without objection. Sounds like a plan to me. All right. So Lissy touched on it last week when we started reading into it that um, Larry Fowler is the kind of a hack daytime TV host uh, of this universe. And we find out that Harry's on the show. He's been on the show once before, but he's here now ostensibly to discuss paranormal and spookiness. But really what he's there for is because he wanted to meet with Mortimer, Mort Lindquist, who we met back in Grave Peril when he was kind of the local ghost expert. He was an ectomancer, is an ectomancer, one of the preeminent ectomancers in the world, presumably. And But Mort doesn't want to be seen with Harry on the street because of the implication to the Red Court of Vampires. He doesn't want to suggest that he's taking sides. So they meet here during the commercial break. They have a little chit-chat about Susan. So remember his ex-girlfriend Susan was half-turned by the Red Court, which mm-hmm. precipitated the war between the White Council of Wizards and the Red Court of Vampires. And what we found out was she stopped sending in her articles to the Midwestern Arcane the newspaper, the yellow rag she was working for, kind of the National Enquirer of the Supernatural over there. And her editor mentioned to Harry that she hadn't sent in an article in the last few weeks. So Harry decided to enlist all of his sources to try to find her and figure out, make sure she was okay. Mort seems to think she's okay, but she's been down in South America and he couldn't quite, he was blocked. He couldn't figure out exactly what she was up to, but sounds like she's alive at the very least. And, There's progress. As a surprise, the other guests on the show that is still going on, whether or not Mm -hmm. Harry and Mort are there for a reason, one is a priest from the Vatican, and one is a professor from the University of Rio de Janeiro or something like that, who turns out to be Don Paulo Ortega, who's actually... Oh, that name. Yes. A vampire of the Red Court. I love that he's ta- telling the crowd that everything supernatural is fake mm-hmm. and that <laughs> there's the line where he says, well, given enough time, 
I could convince everyone here that I was a vampire. <laughs> and I love that. And everyone chuckles at it because it's so ridiculous. Obviously. Just, I love it. Um, <laughs> beyond that, again, during a break in the show, Ortega, who's sitting next to Harry, does one of those where it looks like he just puts his arm on Harry's arm, but he's actually squeezing it with vampire strength and hurting the crap out of Harry, um, which forces him to lose his control spell which is trying to prevent him from exploding all the technology around yes, him. Yes. Just, just, you know, to some effect. And he tells him that the real reason he's in town is to challenge Harry to a duel under the accords, the code duello, as we get to, we hear about later. And the deal is if Harry wins, Chicago will become Casablanca is the reference that uh, Harry mentions. Mm-hmm. And it'll be basically a free zone, kind of protected territory in the war. And neither sh- neither side will really operate in Chicago and hurt people. Mm-hmm. If Harry loses, basically the vampires will give up the war because they the reason they're fighting the war is because they want Harry. So that's the idea, at least, and it makes it very tempting. So Harry basically says... Sure. Let's dance. Bring it. Well, the one thing I do, I do have a question because he did yeah. say at one point in this chapter that it's been several, it's been a couple of years since that the vampire thing happened to Susan. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought in the last book we were discussing how it had only been like nine months or something. Wait, did they say years? Yeah. Like the, the quote is literally, where is it? Let me find it. A couple of years later, she wound up, Oh, maybe it's a couple years later. Yeah, that's a couple years after oh, she okay. started writing for that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait. Yeah, she a couple years later she went to the vampire. Well, court, a couple years later after she her co- column got syndicated. Just it was just one of those things. And the other thing I noticed is while I was listening to the audiobook, at one point, Marsters calls him hey, Jerry. Yeah, says, yeah. Jerry. I was like, wait, hold on. And then he goes back to Larry. I was like, that's kind of funny. I did notice that as well. That was funny. The other guest on the show, because um, nothing can be a coincidence, is a, a priest out here from the Vatican to, again, talk about kind of the church's angle on the occult. But after the, as they're walking out of the building, there's a, uh, I do like the exchange where he says, actually, Mr. Dresden, I must confess something to you. And there he says, don't think I missed the irony on that one, Padre. <laughs> I was doing a punishment, not a punishment set, because you don't punish children, but a uh, set where you, a swim set where you help your kids learn, you know? You know, you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you swim butterfly for learning. And afterwards I said, all right, we did our 10 Hail Marys and our five Our Fathers. I was like, what, Lord? I already said that we're like basically turning the page. We're forgetting about this. We're over. We're moving on to the next thing. I was like, I promise you, the Catholic the Catholic kids on the team think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a lot of blank faces and two like, okay. Two, two people get it. Two, confess- two people understand the confessional mindset. Yes, yes. But uh, he said, I did not come to Chicago merely to appear on the show. No, <laughs> I really came here to, to talk to me. <laughs> How did you know? It's just been that kind of day. <laughs> And I love that. Which really hasn't even been that kind of day yet. 
it's just getting going, but it really, really you can is. Just tell that this is one of those mm-hmm. days. Um, so they head out to the car and, uh, father Vincent asks for strict, strictest of confidentiality, uh, because Harry says, you think I'm a crackpot at best or charlatan at worst? So why do you want me to take your case? I am told you are the best investigator in the city for it. You've got something supernatural going on? No, naturally not. I'm not naive, Mr. Dresden. But I am told that you know more about the occult community than any private investigator in the city. And Harry gives us kind of the description of the occult community, which I really like because it's sort of that... There's a little bit there's a little bit of truth in the reality. The occult community he had in mind was the usual new age crystal gazing, tarot turning, palm reading crowd you see in any large city. Most of them were harmless and many had at least a little ability at magic. Add in a dash of feng shui artists, seasoned liberally with wiccans of a variety of flavors and sincerities. Blend in a few modestly gifted practitioners who liked mixing religion with their magic, some followers of voodoo, a few Santerians, and a sprinkling of Satanists, all garnished with a crowd of young people who like to wear a lot of black, and you get what most folks think of as the occult community. Of course, hiding in there, you found the occasional sorcerer, necromancer, monster, or demon. The real players, the nasty ones, regarded that crowd the same way a 10-year-old would a gingerbread amusement park. My mental early warning system set off an imaginary klaxon. And then we learn that it's Father Forthill who referred Father Vincent to him. Father Forthill didn't see eye to eye with me on the whole religion thing, but he was a decent guy. A little stuffy, maybe, but I liked him, and I owed him for favors past. You should have said that in the first place. So Harry says, you know, he wants to hear the details, but if Fort Hill thinks he can help, he will. And he is not giving him a deal. He's His standard fees apply. And they head out to the car. I don't think the Vatican needs a break. Let's be real. Yeah, let's be real. Financially, definitely not. Um, And then Father Vincent notices the shape that the Blue Beetle is in, and he asks, what happened? I hit trees. You drove your car into a tree? No, trees. Plural. And then a dumpster. I glanced at him self-consciously and added, they were little trees? His uncertain look deepened to actual worry. Ah. I unlocked my door. Not that I was worried about anyone stealing my car. I once had a car thief offer to get me something better for a sweetheart rate. (laughs) And I love that. It's just so spectacular. (laughs) It is. And so Father Vincent says he wants to go to his hotel because he has some photographs. And so in, this is, in my mind, this next little bit is Harry's listening. Remember we talked about in the last book about listening with a capital L and that ability to be more aware because all he heard was a scuff of shoes on concrete. And then he caught the gunman in his peripheral vision. He throws himself across the beetle and crashes into Father Vincent, and they tumble to the ground. This guy then starts shooting, and he's got a silencer. So we know that that is not good, generally speaking. And Father Vincent, what's happening? Father Vincent stammers, shut up. 
I snarled. The gunman was moving, his feet scuffing on the concrete as he skirted around my car. I reached around the Beatles headlight and fumbled at the wire holding the hood down, which I love that there's a wire holding the hood down. While the man came closer, I gave it way and the hood wobbled up as I reached into the storage compartment. And even in this rush of action, Harry looks at what the guy looks like. He figures out what he looks like, what he's holding. And that's a pretty intensive skill. Observation in a split second. And he pulls a a shotgun out of the car and chambers around. And the gunman's eyes widened and he turned to run. And he shot again, and he keeps shooting. They get into the car, and the shooter gets a lucky shot and shatters the back of the window, back window of the Beetle. Aw, poor Beetle. And they're screeching out of the parking lot, and there is a group of people across the street, including our old friend Cujo Hendricks, right-hand enforcer to the crime lord of Chicago, Gentleman, Johnny Marcone. And they're off. They haul ass out of the area and they end up at a cheap motel where he's pretty sure Father Vincent isn't actually staying. But while he's driving, he does question Hendrix's presence. Why the hell was Marcone sending goons after me? Marcone was the lord of the mean streets of Second City, but generally, he didn't like to use that kind of violence. He thought it was bad for business. I had believed Marcone and I had an understanding, or at least an agreement to stay out of each other's way. So why should he make a move like this? Maybe I had already stepped over a line somewhere that I didn't know existed. I glanced at the shaken Father Vincent. He hadn't told me yet what he wanted— but whatever it was, it was important enough to covertly drag one of the Vatican staff all the way to Chicago. Maybe it was important enough to kill a nosy wizard over, too. Ooh, boy. It was turning into one hell of a day. I love that the end of both chapters is the same, basically. Like, yeah, oh, this is a hell of a day. Yeah. And then it's turning into a hell of a day. Like, it's. It goes from like this day sucks to like wow this day could suck like almost like his day got better but yeah it's pretty great oh which isn't actually what he means I don't think but no but it's still it is very entertaining so they sneak out of the parking garage with a busted back window and they head over to a motel a little ways north of O'Hare where Father Vincent directs them Uh, basically like a Comfort in Motel 6 kind of national chain. So he doesn't think Father Vincent's staying here. He thinks they're just meeting here, basically. Because obviously an agent of the Vatican isn't going to stay at a little dinky mm-hmm. motel. But he tells him that an artifact was stolen from the church, capital C. And from a church, lowercase c, I guess. <laughs> but... Um, the church, capital C, is interested in recovering the property. And there is an investigation by the police, but he doesn't completely trust the police. He mentions that the whole Al Capone thing has been over for a while. Mm-hmm. But even Dresden himself knows that Marcone has a lot of influence. And certainly they don't, you know, they don't want to put all their uh, Easter eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. So he's given 
Harry an opportunity to find the artifact as well, a relic, as he says, and mentions it's an antique possessed by the church for several centuries. It's fragile. It's not currently being adequately preserved and it was stolen from the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Northern Italy. In Torino, to be specific. And I totally called it. Let's see. There was, unfortunately, wasn't a break in our reading so he could uh, get it into a crackpot theory. But Lissy, I know. Lissy I was claims so she guessed that it was the Shroud of Torino. Um, turn. Shroud of Turin. Well, not if you ask an Italian. I know. And he shows them a picture of a man, Gaston LaRoche. He was found dead, sliced and diced, slashed to almost literal ribbons, which may or not be connected to other things. Hmm. And he said he, uh, he was, before he was sliced and diced, the ringleader of a group of thieves called themselves the church mice. They rob cathedrals and sanctuaries, which is an interesting angle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite. Stealing religious artifacts all over the world. So they found his body. They found some pieces of um, falsified American identification, fake passports and such, and a plane ticket that would take him to Chicago. They have already gotten Interpol on the case, and his accomplices are Anna Valmont and Francisca Garcia. Presumably, they are now in Chicago with the artifact looking to sell to a buyer. They don't know who the buyer is. They assume he's in, he or she is in Chicago. Hmm. Uh, Harry certainly, you know, mentions that it's strange that they, obviously the killers, whoever killed LaRoche is pointing them to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very clear, you know, he wasn't killed on site, you know, where he was, his body was found. So they killed him and moved him and pointed everyone like a big red sign to Chicago. So he certainly, he doesn't really know what to make of that, but he does, obviously he's smart enough to know that it means something, even if we don't know what yet. And then they go back and forth and Harry um, gets him to tell him what was lost. And it is the Shroud of Turin, which was supposedly Christ's burial cloth, which uh, covered his body before they threw him in there. And then the rock was rolled away. And depending on which book of the Bible, either some women or some dudes found him and either the rock was rolled away or the rock wasn't rolled away. Uh, but either way, he was buried in this shroud and it supposedly has his image or his blood on it. Again, depending on who you ask. And it's an interesting conversation because this guy is works for the church, but doesn't actually believe there's any meta medical metaphysical significance to the shroud. He thinks it's just important just from historical. a political mm-hmm. and historical standpoint. Whereas Harry suggests that, it's going to be significant magically. It's going to have some power to it. And there's a great exchange that tells you a lot about the lore in universe where father Vincent says, I have no illusions about it. It's a piece of cloth, not a magic carpet. It's value derived solely from its historical and symbolic significance. Uh-huh. Hell's bells. That's where plenty of magical power comes from. Mm-hmm. It was old and it was special and people believed in it. That's enough to give it a kind of power all by itself. Faith magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's faith magic. It's also like we uh, like basically every creature in this universe. If someone un- gives it power, mm-hmm. it has power. Yeah. Which is a really cool way of thinking about things because it's both true in real life. But it, it's like uh, in a lot of ways how Buffy was a metaphor for high school's hell. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of like the, the point of the show, right? Whereas like this is a metaphor for like if people give a shit about something, it matters. Yeah. It just actually has magical power as opposed to like, you know. I know what you mean. What Kim Kardashian says matters because people give Kim Kardashian credit and give her power, you know? No, no, no disrespect to her in particular, but just the idea of like, we, we give power to things all the time. So why wouldn't it, why wouldn't that manifest itself magically speaking in this universe? Correct. Exactly. Or our universe. Who knows? Who knows? Could very well be. So Harry kind of tries to throw some stuff together in his head just to see where we're at. You know, we got Interpol and probably the FBI are on the case. We know CPD's on the case. We know John Marcone is floating around somewhere. And uh, on top of all that, we have a goddamn Red Court noble in town looking to cause trouble. So this is all very exciting. He does get some money. Um, He gets a uh, retainer from Father Vincent. And they say they're going to meet. They're going to chat later. So he he heads home, you know, determined to spend some time working on this case and try to put it all together. Try to still he's still on the high from the Larry Fowler show and the attack afterwards. So it's not like he's going to go home and pass out or anything like that. And as he's approaching his home, he can tell that something strange is afoot at this particular circle. Okay. <laughs> and there's a kerfuffle and two figures are rolling around. And a, a, a body is thrown from this kerfuffle 20 feet through the air, landing on the gravel, bouncing and rolling, and it hops up and sprints away. He gets his shield ready. He gets his blasting rod as bright as a road flare. I love that description. Because mm-hmm. usually it's just the runes are glowing. But now he's got like road flare abilities to get it lit up and ready to rock. And he says, make a move and I f- I'll fry you. And red light fell over a woman. She was dressed in jeans, a black leather jacket, a white t-shirt, and gloves. She had her long midnight hair tied back in a tail. Dark, oblique eyes smoldered up at me from beneath long lashes. Her beautiful face held an expression of wary amusement. My heart thudded in sudden pain and excitement. Well, Susan said, looking up from the sizzling blasting rod up to my face. I've heard of running into an old flame, but this is ridiculous. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's a good question as to why Harry's, why Susan is at Harry's place. And he touches her and her fingers, uh, uh, her fingers were feverishly warm and wisps of winter steam curled from her skin. Bruises, she said, I'll be fine. Two seconds ago, she had gloves on. Now she sees her fingers are feverishly warm, so that's a little off, but whatever. She can have warm gloves. Um, but he's like, who was that? It was Red Court. I couldn't see his face. You ran off a vampire by yourself? I've been working out. And so he reaches out his energy, his senses, and he's she says, gone now, but we should hang out here inside then. I started to agree and then paused. A horrible suspicion hit me. Which is totally understandable, considering what he just went through with Elaine. It's been a rough year. I want to talk, but I'm not inviting you in. Mm -hmm. 
Susan's expression flickered with comprehension and pain. She folded her arms over her stomach and nodded. No, I understand. And you're right to be careful. I took another step back and started walking towards my reinforced steel door. She walks in as well. He lights the candles. And we get a little bit more description is about the lore. We've gotten some of this before, but not with someone we know so well. A supernatural being would have a hell of a time getting over a threshold without being inter- without being invited in. If that was some kind of shapeshifter rather than Susan, or God help me, if Susan had gone all the way over to the vampires, she wouldn't be able to enter. If it was the real Susan, she'd be fine. Or at least the threshold wouldn't hurt her. Getting paranoid suspicion from her ex-boyfriend might do its own kind of damage. But, reasonably enough, and so she came in and she says, good enough? It was. Relief coupled with a sudden explosion of naked emotion roared through me. And then they make out. And (laughs) Mr. Does Not Like This. A sudden shrieking hiss startled me, and I jerked back from Susan, looking wildly around. Mr. My bobtailed battle-scarred tomcat had leapt up onto the stones before the fireplace, his luminous green eyes wide and fixed on Susan. Mr. Weighs about 30 pounds, and 30 pounds of cat can make an absolutely impossible amount of noise. And so... Susan says she could feel him going under. And he says, under. She looked over her shoulder at me, her expression hard to read. The venom, she said quietly. They call it their kiss. I guess I, I, guess I can't blame them. It sounds a lot more romantic than narcotic drool. <laughs> but it sounds like her venomous kiss is getting stronger. Yeah, he barely noticed it. Before thought he was, he thought he was imagining it, and now mm-hmm. it's very much to the yeah. point where even Mister recognizes it's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she says she's stronger, physically stronger. Her senses are sharper, and she's got a strong narc- narcotic drool. And Harry goes and drinks a beer. Harry needs a beer. Totally understand. And Harry says, "I guess you didn't come over to uh, tear your clothes off and use you shamelessly." Susan suggested. Her voice sounded calm again, but I could sense the underlying tone of her hunger. I wasn't sure whether I should be settled, unsettled or incurred. No, Harry, it isn't. That isn't something I can afford to do with you, no matter how much either of us wants it. Why not, I asked. I knew I, I knew why not already, but the words jumped from my brain to my mouth before I could stop them. I peered suspiciously at the beer. I don't want to lose control, Susan said. Not ever. Not with anyone, but especially not with you. There was, a, there was a silence in which only the fire made any noise. Harry, it would kill me to hurt you. More to the point, I thought, it would probably kill me too. And she notices how neat his house is. Is someone else living here now? No, I got a couple of cans and took one over to her. She took it from me without touching my fingers. Why do you ask? The place looks so nice, and your clothes smell like fabric softener. You've never used fabric softener before. Oh, that. You can't tell people about it when fairies are doing your housework or they get ticked off and leave. I sort of have a cleaning service. I hear you've been too busy to clean up. Susan said, just making a living. I heard you saved the world from some kind of doom. 
Is it true? I fiddled with my drink. Sort of. How do you sort of save the world? I only saved it in a Greenpeace kind of way. If I'd blown it, there might have been a historically bad storm. But I don't think any would have noticed that anyone would have noticed the real damage for 30 or 40 years. Climate change takes time. Sounds scary. Mostly I was just trying to save my own ass. The world was a twofer. Maybe I'm getting cynical. I suspect the only thing I accomplished was to keep the fairies from screwing up the place that's from screwing up the place so that we could screw it up ourselves. So again, Harry being minimizing his impact on things, which we, we notice a lot. And, you know, so she's like, are, he asks if she's in trouble because his instinct is to help. And she says, relatively speaking, no, but you are. That's why I'm here, Harry. What do you mean? I came to warn you. The Red Court sent Paolo Ortega to call me out. I know. But you don't know what you're getting into, Harry. Ortega is one of the most dangerous nobles of their court. He's a warlord. He's killed a half a dozen of the White Council's wardens in South America since the war started. And he's the one who planned and executed the attack on Archangel last year. How do you know about that? I'm an investigative reporter, Harry. I investigated. She tells him a lot of things about the war, about the council, about the court. They'll pay some kind of concession that doesn't involve the death of one of their members, and that will be it. War over. How do you find, how did you find out I investigated? I don't, I just don't trust her. This is just, oh, I investigated. I investigated. I just feel like she might be a little bit more involved with the Red Court than she actually is. Hmm. Um, and that's just my thing. And then there's a knock on the door. And the most bland-looking human being I had ever seen stood on the other side. I love this description of bland man. Um, oh, yeah, it's so good. Oh, my God, it's so spectacular. Because you can, you can see this. You've probably I met can't. people like this. I can't picture him. Oh, I totally can. Just... The most boring, monotonous, uh, monotone person. I love his voice was like the rest of him, about as exciting as a W-2. <laughs> that was a good line. And he also kind of is pulling, a, to me, it kind of felt like a, a controlling boyfriend. I told you I was going to talk to him. You could have used the phone, the man pointed out. There's no point in this. And he discredits Harry. I don't shake hands. That was all that, that was evidently all the verbal interaction I merited because he looked back at Susan and said, we have to be up early. We? We? I looked at Susan who flushed with embarrassment. She glared at Martin and then said to me, I need to go, Harry. I wish I could have stayed longer. Wait, I said. I wish I could. I'll try to call you before we go. There was that we again. Go, Susan? I'm sorry. She stood up on tiptoe and kissed my cheek. Her two warm lips soft. Then she left, brushing past Martin just enough to jostle him into taking a little step to keep his balance. <laughs> Martin nodded to me and walked out. After a minute, I followed them long enough to see them getting into a cab on the street outside. We. 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 Which implied that she and someone else together, someone who was not me, was she? Susan with the pedantic Avenger there? That didn't track. I mean, how's bells? The guy was just so dull. Boring. Blas. And maybe stable. 
Face it, Harry. Interesting. You might be supposed to be blase. I don't know. Cause it's spelled wrong. If it is blase. Well, no, there's like, I have like a weird symbol screw up. Mine just says BLAS question mark. Huh. Um, but he's a stable. You ain't. And he takes a cold shower and the phone rings. It must be blase. Yeah. Uh, the phone Sorry. rings and it's Karen Murphy. It's unofficial business at the Cook County morgue. I want to show you a corpse, she says. All right, so on to chapter five. Mm-hmm. Our plucky heroes are headed to the morgue. They are, in fact. And this... I and a number of our listeners were certainly looking forward to because <laughs> this is That's a character that does actually come back a couple of times moving forward. Awesome. Waldo Butters, a resident coroner. Uh, He's an assistant medical examiner. Medical examiner. Although I heard, we had this conversation when you were dipping around different um, or looking into different uh, coroner slash medical examiner jobs. They're not mm-hmm. actually the same thing, right? Um, okay. So he, if as an assistant medical examiner, that means he is a doctor. He is a forensic pathologist. Medical mm-hmm. examiner implies that they're the doctor. Okay. Um, my job is a coroner investigator, medical examiner investigator. They are basically in function. They're very similar. Uh, and it's just an organization in which they are different. Um, California has most, has coroners and medical examiner states or counties rather medical examiner is, a, is an independent county agency. Coroner's office are usually under the, under the umbrella of the sheriff in 2016, I believe it was California passed an assembly bill stating that if your county charter did not say you were a coroner, you had to become a revert back to medical examiner. And this is because in San Jacinto, San Joaquin's County, I think it was the sheriff was changing the manner of death because he was sheriff coroner. He was deciding to change the manner of death on officers involved shootings, which are in fact homicides because it is death at the hands of another. Um, he changed them to accident and there was a big deal. The chief quit and went to the press. And California actually took action and changed and created a law stating that if your county charter does not say that it is a coroner, then they have to revert back to the medical examiner. At least that's it's, as far as how just, I understand it. It just the takes them away from the umbrella of the sheriff's department and gives them directly to the county or? Correct. Okay. And as we were, again, as my sister but, was looking into getting new jobs yes. and new fields, I hop onto Wikipedia and learn things, not to become an expert, mm-hmm. but just to know stuff, right? Well, and, and um, usually in, but, in places where they're the counties that are larger, they're frequently coroner's offices. Medical examiners are often smaller just because it's the, in some counties you have um, deputy sheriffs who can, who can be cross-trained and assist as medical examiner investigators or medical legal and death investigators. Okay. Well, I just yeah. love the fact that in uh, most counties where there is a coroner, mm-hmm. Or in a lot of counties, right? The only person who can arrest the sheriff is the coroner, right? Well, the sheriff is a coroner. It's sheriff coroner. In most counties where the sheriff coroner, the sheriff is also technically the coroner. There there was a thing where coroners were the only people who could arrest somebody. 
I don't know. Well, the I don't I don't know what that is, but I know that in California there is a law um, that you cannot touch, manipulate, change, or move a body without the permission of the coroner, and it is a misdemeanor. And I frequently have to tell, I've have in the past frequently had to tell law enforcement agents, hey, you can't move the body because it's inconvenient to you. <coughs> it is a misdemeanor. You are in fact breaking the law, and they're always okay. so shocked. Okay, yeah. So, uh, in in so maybe I, maybe that's not true in California. What you're saying, I believe yeah. you. I again, I know enough to know. I don't know enough, but there are places. Alabama is one of them, but in a lot of places in the United States. The coroner is the only person who can arrest the county sheriff. No, technically anybody can arrest the sheriff. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying then that, that technically <laughs> anybody can anybody can arrest their superior if they're violating the law. I'm just telling you that's not true. <laughs> um, so again, in California, I believe you because California is a state with like reasonable laws and leadership. But uh, yeah, it's like one of those. Things that like nobody actually cares about anymore, but because it's like enshrined in some county law from the 1750s, it's basically common law at this point. But there are a lot of places where a court, one of the coroner's special like privileges and powers is they can arrest the county sheriff. Interesting. And, and like basically no one else can because he's the, the head of law in that. You know, again, it doesn't matter for like today's world. You know, it's like those mm-hmm. where. You can't you can't smush a spider after six p.m. in Southern Florida. Or, you know they have like all these stupid laws that exist that are still on the books technically, but like nobody mm. cares. Yeah, I, I found something. So it's um the cor- the it was common to give the coroner the power to arrest the the sh- arrest or shift process on the sheriff. There, um, yeah, like I said, it's it's a historical yeah. power that but, like yeah, but doesn't it, but matter in, anymore. I just think it's yeah. interesting. But the actual the actual thing is, state police can arrest a county sheriff. As can the FBI. Well, yeah, now, again, now, tomorrow, uh, yeah. today, I'm talking about historical laws. Mm. Um, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, but yeah, so basically what this implies is that Butters is a doctor. They call him Dr. Butters. Yeah. he's He's got an MD. Does not necessarily mean that he is board certified, but he is a forensic pathologist by right. trade. Because not every state requires um, them to be forensic pathologists. Not every county requires them. In California, there's a lot of forensic pathologists that are not board certified in forensic pathology. Those sure were a lot of words. <laughs> they didn't have to pass the boards for forensic pathology. That's Rand Paul don't... made up his own board so that he could be a doctor. Hmm. He's he's board certified because he made up his own board. He's an idiot. He's a lot of things. He's not an idiot. He just preys on idiots. Ah, uh, he might also be an idiot. I think he's probably not clever enough to uh, be nefarious. I digress mm-hmm. from our digression. Either way, Doctor Butters, he'll come up more as we go through. Um. Interesting character, certainly grows with the novels, and this is our first time meeting him. There's an interesting conversation. Again, a a lot of the things Harry talks about is the world as Harry understands it. Mm -hmm. So I I, I say a lot of things that are like truisms in this universe because that's how Harry believes them. So they're not always necessarily all the way true, but 
is just kind of another one where he talks about things being under the earth. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How it matters more than just altitude. Oh yeah. Where dead things fit, you know, um, a lot oh, of no, the and it, it's, it's a big, like, so I actually have a very strong feelings about the way, um, like things that deal with death in uh, Western culture. It's, it's very, it's always tucked away. It's always very nondescript. If it can't be underground, like in, mo- in California, most, most morgues can't be underground simply because of earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And we don't have basements here in California, but the thing, exactly. Um, but the thing is, is that they're always tucked away. They're nondescript buildings. We don't want people to think about death. And in, so I studied cultural anthropology in my, like, I love, um, Southwest Native American and pre-Columbian, which are Incan Maya and, uh, Aztec. And one of the things that, you know, I always talk about is that in those cultures, the people who deal with death, the people who take care of the dead are not ostracized. They're, they're an important part of the culture. And basically they have a red phone to the gods. And in Western culture, the people who deal with death are weird. They're, they're kind of, they're on the underbelly of, of the community. So it's a very interesting dichotomy there because of how terrified Western culture is of death. When in those other cultures, it is just a part of life. It is part of the circle of life. And so it's just an interesting kind of dichotomy and how in Western culture, morgues are always underground or in a tucked behind something like my office is tucked behind the hospital uh, by behind County hospital. It's this very nondescript building, but that's just how they are. It's fast. It's a fast. I loved his description of it. And I also loved under the earth means a lot more than relative altitude. It's where the dead things fit graves. Pardon me. Graves are under the earth. Thor, hell, Gena, Hades, and a dozen other reported afterlives. I really liked that. Yeah, it, it just again, like you said, it, where it fits. You know, mm-hmm. the same. He talked. He mentioned a couple novels back about fence. Every graveyard is fenced in. You know, mm-hmm. we actually, you actually looked into why that is and stuff. Um, and later in this chapter, where he says a man should have a head, a man should have hands. You mm-hmm. know, it's interesting his take on the way things should be. Yeah, um, it matters, and it gives those things power. It's just. Um, Again, he talks about this and doesn't realize he's also giving power to things. Yeah. Maybe even unintentionally. It's very interesting. This whole paragraph, this whole introduction to this chapter is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially because of it's a, it's a environment I'm familiar with. It's a content I'm very familiar with. And I do like that. He describes Murphy as a monster hunting Valkyrie. Yeah. I mean, I don't love the description. We'll get into that later. Um, it's not like inappropriately sexual by any means. It's just, I don't love it for other reasons, but, um, but yeah, no, she is a monster hunting Valkyrie <laughs> for now. And, but I love that uh, how she didn't look, she, she starts it with, she didn't look like a monster hunting Valkyrie. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And then at I the end that. of the description that said Murphy was a monster hunter Valkyrie. Exactly. I, I, I like, it. I like, I like the bookends for sure. Yeah. Um, he uses those a lot and I really do. I do like it. I like that. It's, it's fun. It's funny. You say that you don't like it. Oh no, 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 no. It's just funny. You say he okay. uses those bookends a lot. 
we'll uh, talk about that later. Okay. I just, I appreciate, I appreciate the things that you are picking up. I, I noticed some stuff. Once in a while. Oh, you're... the other thing I um, wanted to bring up, because she says that she doesn't like dogs. <laughs> and I literally wrote, foreshadowing? Question mark. Uh, because I feel like, you know, in the next chapter, we see the giant bear. I'm like, are we going to get a dog that attacks her? That's just going to be, that's just, it feels like it's foreshadowing. Interesting. I just, you ever met someone you like that doesn't like dogs? Yes. Really? That are afraid of them because of an incident. Not that they don't like them. They're just afraid of them. I talking about Kali. I like Kali. Kali doesn't dislike no. dogs. No. Holly's great. No, but I have met people who they just had a bad experience. They were attacked by a dog as a child. And so they're very, very uncomfortable with dogs. Huh. I, I mean, fair enough. I, I'm not going to shit on anyone's lived experience. Well, the other thing is she's not afraid of dogs. She's afraid of big dogs. But we just got a description. She was five nothing and a hundred nothing. She was, she's little. So big dogs. I mean, that I, that's kind of understandable, actually. Fair enough. That's like coming, you and ants. I was sense. gonna say, coming from somebody who hates ants, I mean <laughs> But I really do. This is a good chapter. Yeah. It truly is. Really interesting. Murphy picks up on that his aura is off. You know, she says, You look spooked. Or I've seen you spooked. It doesn't make you look like this, but you look off. And uh you look worried, frustrated, guilty? You know, romance stuff. He's like, ah, Susan's in town. <laughs> Murphy knows him better than he knows himself, obviously. And she says, wow, she's okay. You know, yeah. She quit her job. She was with someone. A guy? Yeah. With him or with him? Just with him, I think. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So he tells her that they're planning on talking. And um, she says, ah, one of those. Huh? None of my business. Hell's bells, Murph. You don't set a guy up for a good talk, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. <sighs> so they get up to the morgue. Buzzes, Murphy buzz, gets them buzzed in. And as they get in there, they hear polka music, heavy on accordion and clarinet. Oh, weird. Oompahing. I love <laughs> that word. It oompahed cheerfully mm-hmm. through the room from a little stereo. Uh, from a uh, small man with a wild shock of black hair and medical scrubs and green bunny slippers. <laughs> Gross to the bunny slippers, I'm just saying. Karen, wow, you look, you're looking nice tonight. What's the occasion? Uh, so clearly they have a relationship where he knows that she's looking particularly nice, although Harry noticed it earlier as well, that um, she explains that Municipal brass is tromping around. There's some heavy hitters from out of town that they need to be all dressed up pretty for and spending money on or spending time on and giving them all the help they can get. Butters uh, notices Harry and references that he says, you're not supposed to be spending money on, on psychic consultants either, I bet. You must be Harry Dresden. Again, so he he knows... Murphy, he knows what goes on with SI. He clearly is, if not clued in, he's at least clued adjacent. Yeah. And we get more on how, just how adjacent he's clued in a second here, where, um,
he obviously notices some weirdness because he sees all the dead bodies that come through or, you know, whatever percentage of the dead bodies come through him. And he started communicating and working with Karen a little bit. Whenever there's something funky, he hits up SI. So again, this is like competence. We saw that with Karen starting to rely on Harry and Harry mm-hmm. now relying on the alphas. It's like competence is rewarded in this universe in a really cool and interesting way. You kind of get leveled up and you get clued in more and you find out more. So he's just another person who's really good at his job and figures enough out. And really that's what happened with Susan as well, right? She was good at her mm-hmm. job and figured enough out that she leveled up eventually. What's the, uh, you get promoted beyond your ability. Oh, I don't know if that's, I, but yeah, you promoted around beyond your ability does definitely happen. Yeah. Uh, whatever that is that happened to Susan where she got above her britches and got bit. Yeah. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen to the rest of us here. And, um, that's not really what happened to Susan. It was just a, it's a situational bigger than she should have. Exactly. But, um, so he shows them the corpse in question, such as it is, it's most of a corpse mm-hmm. as they say. There is a number of human pieces missing. The head is not quite there. Ditto the hands. And just like the picture of LaRoche that we saw, there is some slicing and dicing, like a grid pattern is cut into his chest. Mm -hmm. And I love that. uh, (laughs) Harry's staring at the missing head section and says, gee, I wonder what killed him. And Butters obviously takes it as a real question and says, what didn't kill him? I can tell you it wasn't blood loss. I love that. He's like thinking that they're thinking it's blood loss. Like, no, Waldo, that was not what we were thinking. Um, He shows that the creature was dead before they took the head Mm -hmm. and the hands. And he also goes on to explain that it basically had every plague in existence Everything he's, every single thing he's tested it for, it's come back positive. So they, this body had died of all these plagues and it was sliced up before it died. So they tortured. After. No, no, no. The chest was sliced up beforehand. They tortured him. Oh. Yeah. No, they sliced up his chest. They tortured him. I thought it. Okay. So that's what he said. They tortured him. But he died of disease. They tortured him, gave him all the diseases. And then after he died. They cut off his head and hands and then they moved his body somewhere else, threw it under an overpass. Mm-hmm. So but he, cert- yeah, he was dead before the blood loss though, because he has lividity. Exactly. Yeah. So they were cutting him up and then they killed him and then he, he died before. They yeah, sliced they, but they were torturing him and it, you know, Harry asked if it's dangerous to have this body just sitting out here. He's like, I mean, you're vaccinated against smallpox, right? <laughs> Um, he, Butters has just what it sounds like a throwaway line. Yeah, county's full. The only thing that's going to happen if I report it's a, another evaluation. Obviously, it's not a throwaway, but it's just kind of said in the middle of this mm-hmm. back and forth like it doesn't mean anything. And then Murphy basically like steps on Harry's foot and nudges him to not literally she looks at him and steps in front of him. But it's that kind of interaction where she's like, do not say anything about that. Move on. And, um, you know, he gives him an estimated time of death of 48 hours ago, which is 
that bothers me. Well, again, the body is so cut up that he's having trouble establishing, right? I mean, like, there are times when you can't give an exact time, no? You, you never can. You never can give an exact time. Okay, so. Unless someone's attached. The thing is, it's like, you would give a range. It would probably be, like, between two and three days they've been dead. Because certain things, and it, the thing is, after about 24 hours, it becomes much more difficult until you start to have decompositional changes. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so presumably the, the body's been here for a little bit at least. Yeah. We don't know when the body got here, but um, he says 48 hours ago tops. So you're saying he should have given a shorter range too? Well, the thing is like, okay, 48 hours. Well, where did you get 48 hours from? Because here's the thing. If, if it's. Well, he doesn't tell them what he, what. Yeah, he I know. Used. But, but the 48 hours is, is a difficult one to figure because the thing is, is like, so rig, rigor mortis, which is the stiffening happens it takes eight hours to get, go in it stays in for eight hours and it leaves in eight hours and lividity is something that you know it's it um becomes fixed meaning you push into it and you don't have basic what's what you would think of as capillary refill after i think it's probably like 18 24 hours so it's that that it's there's not much change that happens after that um especially considering he probably wasn't refrigeration before butter saw him. And it's just, there's certain things that um, well, post-mortem period is very but, difficult. But but, sure. But butters knows more about this corpse than you. And he says it was about 48 hours. What's your problem with that? Because it, it's about 48 hours. There's that. Where, how do you know? Because 24 hours, you, you there's a bunch of changes that happen in the first 24 hours. Okay. Sure. But, but again, Harry wasn't here when the body rolled in. Right, like I mean, Butters has had this body for a certain amount of time. I don't know. Like that's the thing. I don't. Yeah, we, we, we know that those... because they walked in. Like that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like you're you're picking nits. Is my no? It's just one of those. It's postmortem interval is very difficult to determine, and and it's just kind of it's one of those. That's why he just gave things. a maximum. Mm, but okay, go on. I'm, I just don't know. I mean, I, I obviously I'm not saying I know more about it than you, obviously, because that would be stupid. But like, I just don't understand. I still don't understand your problem. Like, it's too specific. It's not specific. He says 48 hours tops. So between zero and 40, that's a 48 hour range. But it's. Is that pretty unspecific? Not as. Well, it, I would. It would. Because usually you have a between. Usually you describe it as sure. like, uh, it's been probably between 18 and 48 hours. It's just kind of. It's just. It's. It's a, it's something that is a pet peeve of mine. But go on. Moving on. Um, yeah, the cuts weren't post-mortem. Post They'd filled with blood, right? So he was tortured before he died. And you know, Harry makes a good point. It's like, if you're going to kill someone with magic, you want to make it look like they didn't die. You know, you, they weren't killed. So like the plagues, why would you then skewer him and then cut him up right it doesn't make a whole lot of sense i actually have a question about that what's could that the, could the plagues plagues be biblical i mean anything could be biblical but i'm you know it's just like all of the plagues the plague the seven plagues or whatever it is the well, i haven't seen any rivers turn into blood quite i yet. know but but the, it's the idea of the plague that's why i was just curious if you think that could be a biblical reference I mean, like I said, I mean, anything could be a biblical reference for sure. I'm not an 
expert. Um, the the seven plagues in particular involve things that everyone would see, though. They, yeah, they no, have, I, have, I know that. But- I mean, I know there's locusts. I know there's dead firstborns. There's dead. The river of blood is three of those seven. I don't even know what the other ones are, but um, that's plenty that people would see. Um, but no, I mean, obviously everything references the Bible certainly going to be important because we know that the shroud of Turin's involved. So we know there's, we know that the Vatican's involved. Um, and very shortly here, we know that the fallen are involved. So, um, do we not find that out yet? In chapter six, we do. We do. Okay. I don't want to spoil you more than anything. So Murphy mentions that SI got this case because, Homicide dumped it on him to flip over to some high profile deal that all the brass is excited about. So Harry immediately realizes exactly what case that is. So he's got a look. Uh, Harry or Murphy mentions that he has a look. He does a little side eye to Butters and Butters says, all right, go ahead. You do your thing. Um, so he leaves the room. And, uh, Let's them molder it out. <laughs> as soon as he leaves, he says, bunny slippers and polka music. Don't knock it. He's good at his job. Maybe too good. And she explains that Butters was the one who got the built, the murder, the Butters was the one who got the bodies from the fire at Bianca's. And he said some of the remains were humanoid, but definitely not human. And I think when you tell your bosses that as a medical examiner, they often ask you to go talk to the kind folks upstairs in the padded room. So he got to uh, stay for a couple nights under evaluation and that obviously was the, what he was referencing when he said why he calls Murphy instead of calling his bosses when something's funky. Which again, he's recognizing it, he's learning, and he's growing, which is really cool to see. And after he leaves, Murphy you know, says, hey, like you clearly know something. And he says, well, I agreed to confidentiality. And he's kind of taken aback by... The grace she gives him, the trust that she gives him. She says, you know what you're doing. I expect you to tell me if it turns into something I should know. And so he thinks about that. And that's, again, like a really cool thing. And we know that that's not easy for Murphy to give that space and trust. And so he basically doesn't break his, I mean, he does break his confidentiality by any definition, but... But he does it in such a way where he basically just gives her info that is going to be available. Interpol's poking around there. Like it's going to happen that she'll make some of these connections. So he just helps her out by, you know, a day or two and says, look, I agreed to confidentiality for this, this client. But if I were going to talk to you, I'd tell you to check out the murder of a Frenchman named LaRoche with Interpol. She says, Interpol, if we were going to talk. Right. If you'd said anything, you tight-lipped bastard. (laughs) I do love that exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
Also, Harry had noticed a tattoo on the arm of the corpse, and so he's going to try to take a look at that, see if maybe there's some sort of sorcerer or some sort of coven or some sort of magical connection to that. And, you know, it, it's, it's funky because it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to kill someone with magic this way and then also brutalize it in such a, a mundane way. And so he's thinking maybe it's a demon. And she, you know, asks if he means exorcism demon. Like, you know, exorcist demon. And he tells her, no, that's the fallen. Former angels. Not the same thing. And so we get an interesting piece of lore here that we kind of could have put together, I guess, before, but it's good to have it kind of laid out. That demon is like a catch-all term for non-fairy intelligent beings in the Never Never, right? We've seen that with Cal Shazak. We saw the demon that Kravos raised, that Amarakius destroyed in book uh, three. Didn't we also learn that a demon isn't destroyed. It just goes back to where it came from and yes. it can always be re returned. Yeah, exactly. Unlike trolls, apparently. Um, but yeah, no, no, the Amaraki is killed in this mortal coil. It killed Kravos's demon. Kalshazak was stabbed by a bunch of scorpions. He's still definitely alive somewhere in existence. But, um, so we've seen those are demons, not really the, infect your soul, biblical kind of demons, which we refer to as the fallen. Those are the fallen angels. But Harry's understanding of this is that the fallen can't act on humans without consent, whereas demons are just creatures that can exist. And be can, can be controlled by power. Exactly. Yeah. They, you know, you can control them with their name and all sorts of things. The fallen are different. They just have different rules and restrictions. And she asks why, and he doesn't really know. Like there's all sorts of reasons between different theories and to, because God said so. Which, again, based, think about the toad, the toads being blown up from Louisiana. Because God said so would create the magical resonant theory, you know, all that in this universe. I like to think it's all connected. Um, but it doesn't really make sense that someone would give the fallen permission to slice and dice and torture them and give them all these diseases. So we're basically still at, we're not even back to square one. We haven't left square one. And so they're just kind of kicking it around. So he, he walks out of the hospital and as he's strolling down the street, these details of the, the people he's walking by some little old homeless man hobbling along on a thick wooden cane and then later, he sees a tall, young black man dressed in an overcoat, clutching an open bottle of vodka in a heavy knuckled hand. <laughs> Chicago nightlife, he calls it. Hmm. Which is, again, things are what they are, and then things are what they are to Harry's perspective. I just like, I really liked that lack of recognition. And, um, but it's very much like the old lady in the park. Exactly, right? It's just how Harry's perceiving the situation as we go through. But um, he hears some footsteps behind him, and they're getting louder and louder. 
because obviously he can hear them better than most people. And so he gets his blasting rod out, thinking he's going to get the drop on some bozo. And he whips around, and he sees... It's a grizzly bear. (laughs) That was not exactly what I was expecting to see when I turned around. Hmm. And then, as we get deeper into this, he realizes it's not a bear. Not unless a bear can have six legs and a pair of curling ram's horns wrapped around the side of its heads. And then it gets it gets worse. It's got an extra pair of eyes glowing with light. One with orange, one with green. It's got tattoos and runes. Serrated slime coated teeth. Like, oh, this is just a wonderful situation here, bear. And it comes charging towards him several hundred pounds of angry-looking monster. And he does the only thing any reasonable wizard would have done. I turned around and ran like hell! He skedaddles. Skedaddling is an important wizarding skill. Yes, I imagine so. So, never walk into a fight with the bad guys. Sorry. Sorry. Never walk into a fight when the bad guys are the ones to set it up. Which is a very good warning for all people, really. Um, And, you know, so he tells us a little bit about how wizards are not tougher than regular folks. They just might be able to lay out some serious magical pounding when they need to. But bad things can still happen, which we've learned. Um, The bear thing follows him. And it comes. It's coming after him, and it's gaining. It's gaining ground. So he says, "Once I was in the open with room to dodge and put obstacles between me and the creature, I might be able to take a shot at it." The creature evidently realized that because it let out a vicious spitting growl and then leapt. I heard it gather itself for the leap and turned my head enough to see out of the corner of my eye. It flew at my back. I threw myself down, sliding and rolling over the asphalt. The creature soared over me to land at the mouth of the alley, a good 20 feet ahead. I skidded to a stop and went running back down the alley, a growing sense of fear and desperation, giving my feet a set of chicken yellow wings. (laughs) And he knows he can't sprint forever. And so unless he he could come up with something else, he was going to have to take his chances. I all but flattened the tall young man I'd seen earlier when I leapt over a moldering pile of cardboard boxes. He let out a startled noise, and I answered it with a low curse. Come on! Move, move, move! He looked at me, and his eyes widened. So they run a little bit, and they come across the old man. He looked up, and the dim light from the distant street glinted on a pair of spectacles. And he shoves the the old the younger man at the older man. Get him out of here, both of you run. And he fuegos the beast. The, be- the blast slammed into the bear creature's chest, and it hunched its shoulders, turning its head to one side. Its forward charge faltered, and it slid to a stop, crashing against a weathered old metal trash can. What do you know? It worked. (laughs) And then the bear thing stares at Harry, and they go into a soul gaze. I like how quickly this soul gaze begins. We've seen that one time before with Parker, uh, in back in full moon where mm-hmm. usually he talks about staring into someone's eyes for a longer amount of time. 
but and he even mentions it here in the description, but it's, it's either you make eye contact for too long or too intensely. Yeah. So they made intent eye contact and it started almost instantly. I just like that. That dichotomy is like, you can either look really intently or if you stare too long, it starts. Yeah. And I wonder if this was the, this was the, the beast's intent was to soul gaze. Is this what it seems like to me? I don't, I definitely don't think so, but I mean, it was Marcones back then. So it is possible he soul gaze as a weapon, but it doesn't sound like it, but, um, well, it just, yeah. just seems like it because it, it's, uh, the, what happens within it, within the soul gaze, he sees the, it's a, it's a more interactive soul gaze than we've seen before for sure. Also. Right. Cause the soul, his soul yells at Harry. Yeah. Um, he said, I, s- I expected to see something hideous, but I guess you can't judge a monster by its slime on its scales. What I saw instead was a man of lean middle years dressed in rags. His hair was long and straight, wispy gray that fell down to his chest. He stood in a posture of agony. His wiry body stretched out in an arch with his hands held up and apart. His legs stretched out. I followed the lines of his arms back up and saw why he stood that way. He'd been crucified. The man's back rested against a cliff, the great glowing sigil stretching out above him. His arms were pulled back at an agonizing angle and were sunk to the elbow in the green-black marble of the cliff. His knees were bent, his feet sunk into the stone as well. He hung there, the pressure of all his weight on his shoulders and legs. It must have been agonizing. The crucified man laughed at me, agony contorting, agony contorted the lines of his body, veins standing out sharply against straining muscle. Stars and stones, I whispered. Creatures like this bare thing did not have souls to gaze upon. That meant, regardless of appearances to the contrary, this thing was a mortal. It, no, he, was a human being. What the hell is this? The man screamed again, this time all rage and anguish, void of words. I lifted a hand and stepped forward, my first instinct to help him. And then the cliff face gets a face, which is a little creepy. The quaking earth, the quaking in the earth increased, and a voice louder than a Metallica concert spoke, the raw sense of the words, the vicious anger and hate behind them hitting me far more heavily than, than mere volume. Get out. The sheer force of presence behind that voice seized me and threw me violently back, away from the tortured man at the cliffside and out of the soul gaze. The mental connection snapped like dry spaghetti, and the same force that had thrown my mind away from the soul gaze sent my physical body flying through the air. So that's a bit much there. That's an interesting little soul gaze we got there. He's, his head's still ringing um, from the after effects of the soul gaze and the psychic assault. That had broken that connection. He sends another blast of flame, and this time it didn't do shit. So he tries to get up, and he stumbles at the feet of an old home, the old homeless guy, and he sees that he's a uh, an Asian, a short white beard around his chin, heavy white eyebrows, and collect corrective glasses that made his eyes look like the size of owls. The old man takes his glasses off, gives him the hair, and says, "Hold, please." And then he p- draws a sword. A, sing- a classic single-edged chisel-pointed katana. And this is when I said, I said to myself, ooh, that's his Amarakius. He's like Michael. 
I was very excited that I was right on that one. <laughs> and so the creature, he takes this blade to the creature and the, the creature screamed entirely out of proportion with the injury, a yowl that almost sounded human. It lurched back, shaking its head, a fine spray of blood sprinkling from its wounded ear. At this point, I noticed three things. One, the creature was paying no attention to me whatsoever. Yippee-ki-yay. My head still spun wildly as if it had, and if it had come for me, I don't think I could have done anything about it. Two, the old man's sword was not reflecting light. It was emitting it. The water-patterned steel of the blade glowed with a steady silver flame that grew slowly brighter. Three, I could feel the humming power of the sword, even from several yards away. It throbbed with a steady, deep strength as quiet and unshakable as the earth itself. In my entire life, I'd only seen one sword imbued with that much power. But I knew that there were a couple more. And so the little old man tells Ursiel to let him go. You have no power here. And Ursiel knows this man. He calls him Shiro. Look at yourself, little fool. You are an old man. You were at the peak of your strength when we last met. You cannot defeat me now. And we learned that Ursiel did not come to talk. He came to act. And at that point, the young black man stepped between Ursiel and Harry, and he too draws a sword. Silver light flared from the blade's steel, and behind the demon, Shiro's blade answered it with more of its own radiance. And they tell Ursiel again, you have no power here. And we learn the young black man is called Sanya. And Ursiel calls him, <laughs> Ursiel calls him a traitor. Do you really think any of us fears even one of the three in your pathetic hands? So be it. I will take you all. So homeboy knows Sanya for one reason or another and calls him a traitor. So it makes me wonder. Sanya has some connection to the fallen. Um, and they fight the Ursiel. And Ursiel hits Sanya, breaks his arm. And then Ursiel says, age, death comes, old man. It's your hand on your heart now, and your life has been spent in vain. Let him go, spat the old man between breaths. Stupid preacher, time to die like the Egyptian did. So be it. The demon drove forward. The old man gave ground, slowly forced into the corner of the alley. He seemed to be doing pretty well, until one close swipe of the demon's claws caught the glowing silver blade near its hilt and spent it, sent it spinning away. So it ends, knight, purred the smooth demon voice of Ursiel. A shadowed figure dropped over the rail of the platform, steel rasping as it did. And there was a low thrum of power, a flash of silver, and the hiss of a blade cutting the air. The shadowy figure landed in a crouch beside the creature. The demon Ursiel jerked once, body stiffening. There was a thump. The body toppled slowly superhero over to one side. He's going to do a superhero landing. He totally did a superhero. <laughs> and he stuck the landing. The third knight rose away from the demon's corpse. And it is Michael Carpenter. It had to be done. 
Michael nodded. The smaller knight recovered the second sword, cleared the blade, and returned it to its wooden sheath. Are you well? Asked the quiet voice of of the young Russian. Peachy. He arched an eyebrow at me, then shrugged and went to recover his blade from the alley floor. So, we have the three knights. Harry says, It isn't that I'm not glad to see you, but you couldn't have jumped down and beheaded the monster about two minutes sooner? Michael was usually pretty good about taking a joke. This time he didn't even smile. No, I'm sorry. I frowned at him. How did you find me? How did you know? Good advice. Which could have been anything from spotting my car nearby to being told that by an angelic chorus. The knights all <laughs> the knights of the cross always seem to turn up in bad places when they were badly needed. I love that. And this must have been pretty badly needed because all three of them showed up. And the creature disintegrates into a puddle of goo and there is a coin. A silver coin, a little smaller than a quarter, rolled away from the man's head and bounced against my foot and then settled on the ground. And Harry reaches to touch it, and the old man snapped his his cane at my wrist, growling no. And we learn that the old man is Shiro Yoshimoto. He was Michael's teacher when he became a knight. And the other guy is Sanya, the newest of the order. And they pick up the cloth, sorry, they pick up the coin with a cloth. And folds it up. And it's a rune. Similar to the one that was on the demon's forehead. What is that, I asked. Shiro was protecting you. Not similar to the one that was on his forehead. Is it the same? <laughs> that was, sorry, it was. This, oh, no, no, anyway. no, I, I'm, I'm, no I'm, that wasn't correcting you. That was just. Yes, it being, was. <laughs> no, oh, no, um, it wasn't. I was giving you a hint there that it's the exact same symbol. Well, and, and Michael says, you better come with us, Harry. Father Fort Hill can get you a cot. And he's like, you never answered my question. What was that? It's a long story. There's little time. Make time. I'm not going anywhere till I know what the hell is going on. Hell, that is what is going on. And then we learn that that thing was the fallen. And Harry said, that's impossible. The fallen can't do things like that. They aren't allowed. Some are. Please believe me, you are in great danger. I know what you've been hired to find, and so do they. And Shira says, Michael, we must go. And then we learn that there are 29 other coins. And being a nerd, I looked up what is the meaning of the number 30 in biblical, because they're nice to the cross, so there's got to be some sort of symbol. And so number 30 can represent the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. But it also symbolizes dedication to a particip- uh, sorry a particular task or calling, which hmm. I thought was interesting because it's it's in the age of thirty for the Aaronic priest. Jesus apparently died at thirty in the year thirty A.D. But also, Judas was given thirty silver coins. This is a silver coin. Hmm. So I'm thinking. This is all important, and these might be the coins, Judas's coins, Judas's blood money. Um, we don't want your blood money. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, I, am, I guarantee the, you, all of you listeners out there, 
you have never met an atheist who loves Jesus Christ Superstar more than me. <laughs> there is not one in existence. Sorry, carry on. Goodness. For better or worse. So I literally said at the end of my notes, I said, not a demon, because demons can't soul gaze. Later we learn that it's true. And I'm curious as to why they can't physically touch the coin without the, the, the cloth. And the other thing is a is a it's complete speculation about Shiro and his spectacles that um I feel like they have a special powers where they kind of like either his sight or they limit a soul gaze or protect him from soul gaze or something like that. But when he was when he was wielding the sword, he needed to take them off to have that uh power and control. Those are my things that I my analysis of this chapter. Well, let's, uh, lots of analysis. Lots no, I of love it. That I love a lot, of, a lot of your thoughts. I mean, there's, it's certainly some gish galop in a lot of ways, but there's also some really, uh, meaty ideas in there that I want to, uh, dig into so here. Um, let's, uh, pop over to analysis. We'll do a little musical intro. So, uh, definitely. An interesting start here mm-hmm. gets us. So we have, we have our mystery of the couple mutilated corpses. We have Don Paulo de Ortega um, hanging out. And then we have all three Knights of the Cross, which you acknowledged and recognized, which was cool. Uh, Sonia, I adore. <laughs> when Chiro's, he called Sonia Chiro. a traitor. Mm-hmm. I'm... <sighs> I'm trying, I was trying to, to decide what I thought about that. Okay. Because is he a traitor, meaning he is one of the fallen? Or did the fallen kind of take over the man that we see crucified? Well, yeah, we, I mean, we saw that man couldn't, the person that they, that was the bear creature couldn't be the fallen. Yeah. Because he soul gazed Harry. So Harry soul gazed yeah. a human being. Yes. But so my whole thing with that is, is, uh, Sonya's connection to that. He either well, has no, a that's connection. What I'm is that the fallen and that guy are not the same, but they were both. The I, bear I, I get that. Yeah, no, I get that. But this is, but it's, but the fallen bear thing, obviously there's, it's still there within that dude. And so my, my, I guess my contemplation of that is, is he a traitor to the fallen or a traitor to that man or both? That's where I was thinking that there's a lot of interesting myth that can be kind of construed from that simply because of the nature of the beast. This is Magog, right? I have no idea. We don't have a name. No, don't they say you have no power here? They don't say his name. Oh no, Ursiel, Ursiel, Ursiel. Ursiel, yeah. Sorry. Oh, they do say um, his name, Ursula. I was like, yeah, that name doesn't sound familiar. I apologize. Uh, Magog's interesting because Magog doesn't have the I IEL. No. Uh, the IEL is important for angel names. We learn in this universe, but also like almost every angel is named something IEL, which is apparently mm-hmm. a suffix that means of God or something like that. Okay, well, that makes sense. We'll look that up later. But um, yeah, so Ur- this Ursiel was was the fallen angel in question here. Um, 
yeah, well, let's let's start uh, back at the beginning and then and kind of catch up to some of those questions. Um, the Larry Fowler chapter, pretty straightforward. The Duke Ortega appearance, any thoughts there? Um, I wasn't surprised. He seems shady, and he seems like he's he. It very much seems like uh, it was on brand for him. Yeah, and I like Susan talked about it. I didn't touch on it a ton. Where Susan mentioned that um, it is going to all be a ploy. Like, it's not going to work out. Basically, no matter what happens, you can't trust a bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is certainly good advice. And then the shootout. What do you think Marcone's intentions on this? Clearly, he, where, where, where Cujo goes, Marcone is involved. He's in, Yeah, no, he's definitely involved. But I, again, I feel like Marcone might be less than a normal human. Okay. But what do you think his connection is to this current money and power? I mean that, but I, I don't know exactly what the connection is, but there's some sort of power. Game everything's everything's money or power, but what's he spending um, money or buying power with his soul? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just curious. So our mystery is who murdered LaRoche, who murdered this, uh, John Doe, where is the Shroud of Turin, and who are they trying to off it to? And then... I feel but, like that could be also how, how Marcone is involved, because he might know how to fence sort of things like that. How to what? Fence. How to sell things oh. that, you know, normal people don't have backhand, backroom kind of ways to, to deal with that stuff, to sell those sorts of things. I feel like he would be the one with the connections. Okay. And he would be useful to the church mice. You're and getting, to get, to get rid getting, of something. You're like getting that. real close. Um, okay, and then we get to... What do you think of the Susan interaction? Um, at first I, I was like that it was a friendly kind of she's trying to help. But then the guy got involved and I'm like, oh, feels just a little sketchy. It feels a little manipulative. I mean, maybe I just have PTSD from Elaine, but it just feels a little manipulative. And yeah, on the backs of Elaine, it's definitely going to be tough to trust any old flame. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that I don't know if it was an intentional thing, but he keeps talking about how extra warm she is. Her hands are really warm. When he she kisses his cheek, she's really warm. It's the middle of winter. Why are her hands and lips so warm? Because she's cursed. But the thing is, a vampire would be cold. That's the thing well, that I'm just. I'm well, just. Black I know she's van- not. I know she's not a full vampire. Blackport vampires are the types of vampires you're used to, which are the rotting corpses. Remember, Mavra was a rotting corpse with a raspy mm-hmm. voice. Those are black court. The Bram Stoker, uh, yeah, no, I vampires know that. Are black court. We know that red court vampires are not dead corpses. They're living beasts. But right? we've never, we haven't heard anything about them being extra warm. Like that was the thing where it's just like I just feel like that. He he mentioned that with some intent. Okay, fair enough. That's all. No, that's all all good stuff. Um, we talked a little bit about Butters and the morgue and the coroner situation. There's, do you have thoughts on this corpse or anything? I mean, there's really not too much to go on, 
Well, the biggest thing is, is anytime someone's head and hands are removed just to, to, um, so they can't be identified. Yeah. And Harry mentions that again, showing his, his excellent investigator. Yeah. He's a good investigator. He's also an observer Mm -hmm. and that he, he confirms that again and again. But also there's a similarity in the slicing where the other guy was sliced, but it was, uh, it was the major injuries happened after death or not in the place where they were found. Yeah, both of them were sliced up and then moved later for sure. Well, and the so. other thing I was thinking about, okay, so this is we we keep going with all the biblical stuff. And I was I I did wonder if there was anything with pound of flesh. I mean, again, this might be just clinging too tightly to the biblical oh, okay. thing. But because you know, we've got these runes, we've got the, you know, there's a lot of things in reference to the Hebrew. There's certainly a lot of biblical yeah, and so I was just wondering because they took away his head, and w- was the slicing an effort to get a pound of flesh? I mean, that might just be a little. What was a pound of flesh for, though? Um, what do you mean in the in the Bible? No, or I mean it... in in Des Moines in nineteen seventy eight. No, but what I mean, I, yes, I, what... yes, I mean in the Bible. What was the pound of flesh for? It's to to a penalty or payment for a deal or a punishment. And they, it, there's a reference to it in in um, Merchant of Venice too. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I, I it's obviously an expression I've heard before. I'm just mm-hmm. wondering what the specifics of what was that pound of flesh for, if that's what you're going with. Um, I, it's no, just, it, it was oh, just no, something I, that I, lo- you know, I, no, I love. I love all the angles, and your 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 brain is certainly like ticket. I, I can hear the green the gears grinding, and I love it. Yeah, uh-huh. because here, this is what it, dictionary.com describes it as something that is one's legal right, but is an unreasonable demand. Oh, I, like I kind of like that. So, yeah. Okay. And then. Obviously, the fight with Ursiel was interesting. I like that his first instinct when he doesn't have the advantage is to just vamoose. Heck yeah. Really learning more about Harry and why he's still alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a prideful man, but at the end of the day, if he's not going to win, he's going to skedaddle. The. But is he a prideful man? He doesn't have much. He doesn't have much um, faith in himself. He doesn't, but he also commits to ideas and thoughts. He yeah, definitely some hubris okay. there. No, I mean, I, I think he's, I don't want to say he's like a, his ego's overrunning him or anything like that, but if, I mean, curious. we've met his ego. Yeah. <laughs> um, or his id, I guess, but, um, his inner voice, we've met his inner voice for sure. So back on the Knights of the cross mm-hmm. or the Knights of the sword as people who don't know as much as you and I would call them. What uh, what do you think about Sanya and Shiro? I am um, I I assumed we were going to meet them at some point, obviously. Um, but I think that I'm curious. This is the whole thing with Sanya, that him being a traitor. Um, that does intrigue me, and uh, Shiro's been around for a while, so that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an old man knight. You're either there's a a line from a song of ice and fire that there are bold knights and there are old knights, but there aren't very many old bold knights. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I just love that expression. But also, Shiro's an old knight who has clearly bested this gigantic bear creature in the past. Mm-hmm. When we last when we when we last met, I was but the learner. Now I am the Ursial Master. Um only a master of evil, Ursial. But clearly, he's an old bold knight. He's a badass stud. I mean, he taught Michael Carpenter. Mm-hmm. everything michael knows right like so clearly this dude's a badass and he's also very old which tells us a lot about his abilities right there right when you, you show us an old badass knight who deals with demons and creatures you're telling us a lot about him right mm-hmm. which is kind of cool um sanya we don't get a whole lot out of sanya i do love that he's drinking vodka on the way to this fight <laughs> at least appearing to He's drinking. Uh, yeah. He's certainly appearing to. I'm, I'm telling you, Liz. He's having a couple sips. That's on his way. <laughs> I love Sonya. And. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you think about this great danger that Harry's in? Uh, same same shit, different day. Yeah, that's fair. But there are 29 other. Mm hmm fallen bad guys with the power to interact with humankind. And at least a number of them are after our plucky hero. So mm-hmm. I loved, uh, I love your thoughts on what the connection of all the biblical references you were talking about. That's really yeah. cool. And I'm intrigued to see how those uh, hash themselves out as we move forward. Same. <laughs> Yikes. What's um do you have anything on there on the yikes front? I do not. So I got a couple, they're not like end of the world by any means. I feel like kind of worth noting at least. Mm-hmm. And I said it was you were going through it. Like I, Murphy's description, I love the bookends. Mm-hmm. She didn't look like a monster hunting Valkyrie. And then but Murphy was a monster hunting Valkyrie. Great. Yeah. In between, like she looks like someone's kid sister, like. She's little. She's wee. She's, She's not what little. you expect. And I appreciate that. I mean, I get it. It gives you a perfect visual. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, he's just like... She is diminutive, but he like... I feel like he just diminutizes her even more all the time. Um, it's not It's not bad. It's not like atrocious. Like mm-hmm. I said, I just, I just didn't love it. It's like, whatever. I mean, I guess we're catching people up in this novel. He even, you know, describe... You can tell this novel has a lot of... Um, Previously, yeah, like the the publisher clearly wants him to have some new, some Mm -hmm. some some uh, training wheels for new readers, yeah. Right, where he he over explains some of the earlier stuff, which is fine. I have no problem with that because I want again see this podcast. We want people to be involved in in this series. I want more people to learn the series, so I wouldn't mind if book nineteen started out with a previously on, yeah, right. Like like I want to find new people to get involved in this universe. So um, the other one, again, I don't, it's a weird spot. Marcer Shiro voice. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't love, but that's more of the audiobook. Sure. Oh, that's not, that's, def- no, that's definitely not, not on butcher by any means, but if we're going to yikes, me as well. Yikes. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's hard because it's like you want, to represent, I don't know. It's let's just say it's worth noting. 
I don't yeah. love it. I don't love it. Seems a little breakfast at Tiffany's for me is what kind of what I'm getting at. Um, again, not the end of the world. I don't know the best way to do it. Cause like, do you just pretend he's a 40 year old, a 45 year old white man as you're talking, hmm. you know, like you want to give a voice to your characters. And yeah, again, I, I, we've again sung the praises of Marsters enough and we recognize he's made some mistakes here and there, but like, again, he's sitting at a, on a stool for 10 hours a day reading. It's, there's going to be some grind grindy issues in there, but, um, that was definitely a choice that I didn't love. Okay. Personally, I, can like, that, I, yeah. I don't think it's the end of the world. I it is a little oof. You know, like the, the, the hold please. Like, yeah, that was the, the rest of it. Didn't bother me. The hold please was like, Ooh. yeah, hold please, you know, dropping the L's like, you know, it's just, it's such, I'm again, I, I hate criticizing people. It's funny. Cause I don't like criticizing coaches because Every, you know your job's so hard like especially to parents like of other programs like no like they're working they're hard they're like whatever you know like i know how hard it is mm-hmm. i also don't like criticizing people of jobs that i don't know because i don't know how hard it is you know what i mean so, mm-hmm. I, I don't love to be despite all appearances in this podcast i don't love being critical and james marsters is one of my favorite you know famous people so but um that hold please really really pops when you listen to the audiobook multiple times in a weekend yeah in between when that's your happy place between yelling at children and yelling at referees um but, uh, yeah not the end of the world but definitely pretty easy on the yikes front for sure mm-hmm. and um yeah good stuff i would love to hear what you are thinking about quotes of the week though. quotes of the week okay so um i've got a couple number one is a duel would mean a fair fight, and I hate fair fights. In the words of a murderous fairy queen, they're too easy to lose. I like that one. Uh, also, the uh, when Father Dr- Vincent says, "I must confess something to you," <laughs> I said, "Don't think I didn't. Don't think I missed the irony on that one." <laughs> um, you know, that was just a little bit of hairy tongue and cheekness. Um, oh, and probably my favorite. Better safe than an, than exsanguinated. <laughs> Say better safe than exsanguinated is definitely one of the best lines. Oh in yeah, this entire I, novel. I want it on a by shirt. an extremely wide margin. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. That's why I didn't say it when I was reading that p- portion because I wanted to say it in quotes. It's so good. Better oh, safe yeah. than exsanguinated. Yes. Okay. Um. I got. Uh, Defeat me, and the court has agreed that this city will become neutral territory. Those living in it, including yourself and your friends and associates, will be free of the threat of attack, so long as they are in it. Chicago Blanca, eh? I liked that so much. He quirked a puzzled eyebrow at me. Never mind. After your time. (laughs) I loved that. I loved the Chicago Blanca. Well, that was great, but the never mind after your time, as... A joke. I mean, I again, I make references yeah. all the time to the children I coach, and it's uh, now nah, whatever before your time. But I've never done the never mind after your time, which yeah, is that is pretty love. great. That is pretty great. Um, I did the uh, as interesting as a W two, which you touched on. I really yeah. liked that description of boringness is so great. It really is quite good. And then from Butters, you guys stay here and molder it out, <laughs> which I just liked. That is great. You know, good, good referential humor. I, as as you may or may not know, I'm a big fan of referential humor. Weird. It's, it's very strange. You, you'll pick up on that after <laughs> another couple podcasts. 
really no uh, need for um, a few years. So, oh goodness gracious! So yeah, I, I yeah I this is definitely one that I really like, and mm-hmm. historically I I don't want to keep saying that at the beginning that I like this one or I don't like this one because a it's prejudicial and b I don't know how much I like it until I really scrape. So we go back into scrape the page as we're doing it. Right. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't even know how much I like it until I've spoken with you about it on this podcast. (laughs) So some of the stuff that I kind of talk myself in and out of for sure. But um, yeah, no, I I really like this start. I think it was, it had a lot of pieces, a lot like my complaints of summer night where there were a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but I felt like these tie together more neatly than the beginning of summer night. I don't know how you feel about that. I just feel like there's so much more biblical stuff. And that to me felt like it just tied everything together very well. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of references to that. What? Well, let's start there. I mean, do you have any crackpot theories to go on from there? Not necessarily. Well, related to the biblical stuff, I think the 30, 30 silver coins are Judas's blood money. Okay. Um, I still think that Mr. Might as well take it. We think that you should. I don't think Mr. is just a cat. And I'm rehashing old. That's oh, going to be in book 20, book 27 after the um, series is over. I'm going to think- theory. I don't think Mr. is real and no one's a human being. No one's a human being. Well, no, I think that Mercarn has has extra powers or some sort of extra involvement, but mm-hmm. I don't think Mister is special. Mister is a familiar is or something. That's what kitties this, are. Kitties are special. Oh, yes, yes, but more special than normal kitties. That's fair. Which says a lot. It does. So yeah, but you don't have, you don't have one. Uh, and I love the uh, ones you've got. That's great. Yeah, that the, I, the blood money thing is very. It's not necessarily a crackpot theory. It might just be reading into the biblical stuff a little too closely. Um, I also, I forgot to mention it. I do really, uh, looking back at my notes here and the things that mm-hmm. I didn't talk about, the Father Fort Hill recommended Harry. Mm-hmm. Remember when we met Father Fort Hill, Harry and him had a relationship, but Harry thinks it's more confrontational and like, but obviously Father Fort Hill is recommending Likes him Harry to, more, yeah. like, to Vatican people like this isn't like a random dude on the street mm-hmm. this is like the top brass in the church father and he's recommend- has more respect for harry than harry realizes again it, it's like we've seen throughout the series everyone does yeah. but i just love that i mm-hmm. I love that father forthill sees harry for what he is as well right because he's seen that while harry does not have the same opinions on religion to him he sees what work harry does he sees harry is on the side of good he sees what kind of man he is. Yes. And like, I like again, which is why I, I talk, we talk a lot of shit, you and I, and it's more me, but like for all his faults, he's a good man. And yeah. I, that's, that's what's, that's what's important. That's what I love. You know, like he's a good character. Well, we talked about that last, I don't know if it was last week or one of the last couple of weeks about how the gatekeeper told him that he made the right choice because he couldn't stop. He had to continue. That was, that was just the, the medal of a man in that exactly. regard. And we see that regularly. We see that constantly. And it does in fact save his life. <laughs> it does in both, you know, real, you know, mundane ways and, yeah. and supernatural ways. Like, yeah, obviously with, with the gatekeeper, that was an interesting, but like also just being a good man. And like, that that's why Meryl saved his life, you know, because yeah. he's a good man. And like, 
yeah. he's here to help people. Like it, it again, I'm glad I told you we were watching Ted Lasso and I was like, I'm re going through the series. My sister and her kids are in town, my other sister, and we're going through it. And, um, it's just like positive, good people. Like I just, it's wholesome. Like Harry yeah. makes mistakes, but he's a good man. He's a good, wholesome man who wants the best and wants to fight yeah. for good. Like I, I can fuck with he, that, you know. Like he may you, you not can make be mistakes. perfect. Yeah, exactly. He may not be perfect, but he's still a good man. Yeah. So I love it. Mm -hmm. This and this this book in particular, I really like. Like I said, we got to meet Butters, who's a longstanding character. Who will we'll see? Um, I'm I'm curious, kind of your thoughts on everything he gets up to, just because I do like of, Butters, of, except for the um bunny slippers, because you would not wear bunny slippers in the morgue. They would just oh, I can just smell them from here. Just think of how gross every part of that would be yeah oh i can smell them from here like seriously oh and you're not gonna listen to polka because other people are around and you're not necessarily no 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 there are doctors have very specific musical tastes i the polka thing didn't bother me it's the bunny slippers of course i was kidding um oompa, oompa. and also sonia sonia is one of my favorite characters <laughs> i am curious about sonia he, and uh, I have a feeling Shiro's going to die because he's an old man and because they're going to, we're going to get attached to him and then they're going to kill him off. <laughs> Cause why not? Cause Fuck that's you what butcher. Right. Exactly. Meryl, I'm looking at you. <laughs> exactly. So we'll learn about it as we move in the next week, but it's not a spoiler. I just, uh, Shiro is the wielder of Fidelakius, the sword of faith and Sanya wields Esperakius, the sword of hope like that or whatever that means so there's the sword of love is amarakius the sword of love the sword of faith and the sword of hope faith love and hope those are good and the greatest of these is love as they say so beyond that i think we're right into wrap-up territory do you have any thoughts or concerns uh you know i have a lot of had a lot of thoughts going out at one point though i i did i entertained at some point in chapter six somebody says killed to death which um I think that's spectacular. I, <laughs> I'm going to kill you to death. I've said that before. I appreciate that. Um, I just, I, maybe it's just cause it's, it's death humor. I, you know, like I have said, you know, oh, he woke up dead, things like that. It's just, it's killed to death. It's entertaining to me. I don't know why it just is, but I wrote it down. Cause it was like, it doesn't have anything of value in analysis or anything like that. But I wrote it down cause it's important for me to point out that killed to death. I love it. <laughs> Fair enough. It's just my no, sense of humor. It. And I, uh, I want to give a shout out because this is a, a shout out. That's good for the, the shouty and also for the shouter because, uh, who's we've corresponded with back and forth a couple of times, but he was listening to last week and he record. I say this all the time that our re listeners are way smarter than us and they're going to get stuff that we don't mm -hmm. definitely. And as we were talking about what the creature coming out of the, the river and, that uh -huh. we had that long back and forth about. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it was a Grindolo. And he uh, started writing us an email saying, oh, it's not a Grindolo, it's Jenny Greenteeth. He's like, oh, and I'm glad I didn't send this till after because yeah, you got it. <laughs> we got it in the end. So in the yeah, end, you guys yeah, give us a little bit of faith. We get it in the end. <laughs> that, uh, Pat and Patrick and Veet, I wanted to wish a uh, happy 13th anniversary coming up here. That's super uh, cool. Lucky number um, 13. Very exciting. And they met over Dresden. And so hopefully one or That's two other people are enjoying uh, our, like I said earlier, like I just want to spread the joy. So I love that he's doing the, you know, previously he's dragging new people in, mm -hmm. even though for some of the old jaded hacks like me, it, uh, but 
but it's it a also of a sentence or two, but I love that we're giving more people the opportunity. So, but congratulations to you guys. And we love the feedback and it's super cool. And I'm glad that this one time we didn't let you down. <laughs> My brain eventually figures it out it's just slower than normal boys and girls. <laughs> well, I was also thinking that with those little lines and things where if there's a delay between when you're reading books or you read the first one, and you didn't quite pick up on those. It, it is cool. It's good for like people who are, you know, not necessarily new, but might not have uh, caught it all. I like that though. Well, for sure. Because the way you normally would read a series, I mean, especially if you read it as it came out, you're going months in between each book. Like I said, I started right before Gin Game. I don't know. I started mid, mid uh, 2010. So whenever that was, um, may have been right, may have been before Cold Days. But either way, I haven't had, I've had long breaks between novels. So I yeah. definitely, a lot of people certainly miss some of these things. And they me might more, not Me more than anyone. And- but I, like, like we've talked about, we talked about it at length and ad nausea, most likely to all our listeners last week about how cool all these little callbacks are and these reference, mm-hmm. these references. And, um, you made, you made a comment today that I, I'm really excited to go back to, um, as we move forward, hopefully awesome. we remember, but, um, I just love it. And, uh, yeah, no, thank oh, you guys. Actually, before I just thought of something, I have this little note card. Because we okay. were talking about, it's about Susan and Susan's informational base. And okay. I, I brought that up when she was talking about, oh, I'm an investigative reporter. Oh, investigations, investigations. I investigated. And, yeah. And that was very much one of those like, hmm. I just feel like she's she is more involved in things and than she is letting on. But yeah. That just made Fair me enough. think. I saw my little postcard and I was like, wait a second. My little note card. I did. But yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I got very, really very cool. about that. Sorry. No, I, I, again, you've got some great, I mean, like I said, there's a little gish galop. You threw a lot out there. Yeah. Which is what I, exactly, no, that's exactly what I want. I want, yeah. well, again, this is, I, I'm really delighted that we have listeners and I love mm. every single one of you. And the couple of people of you that actually throw us a couple bucks each week, each month rather is like bananas and you're the best. The reality is I just want my sister to work, to chew through this and, and throw out all these ideas and, and grind on it. And it's exciting when she says something that's right. It's fun from a lording over her, how much smarter than her I am when she says something wrong, which I don't do because I don't want to spoil her those either. But in my head, I'm thinking, ha ha, who's the smart one now, Liz? Um, hey, you I, know, I've, I can't, got, I've I can't, been right I can't. on a lot of stuff though. You know, you really have. That's what I'm saying. I love when you, I love when you feel confident enough to throw out a dozen instead of being like meekly, like, Oh, maybe Mr. Sir, like, like the confidence of like, be wrong, be right. You know, but like, yeah. what, where does this chapter take you? Where does this mm-hmm. chapter take you? And that's exactly what I wanted to get into. And I'm excited to get into moving forward. And I, you know, I'll tell you right now, some of the things you've said are interesting and I'm, I'm intrigued by some of them are off Wrong but I'm still but I'm, but I'm still really interested in how you got to it right yeah. like it's really cool to to, to think about so i love yeah. both sides of that so you do you never change and well i mean always try to be a better version of yourself <laughs> each day well that's just good advice for everyone try to get a little bit better each day but i appreciate i'm delighted and i'm excited and yeah hit us up on all the all the places the podcast was on fire. We get to them every so often. Like I said, this last week, I was... Uh, the fact that I have a voice today is a testament to how badly <laughs> we played this weekend. No, I, we played seven games this week. Oh, God. And we were just... 
not at our best this weekend. We took care of business. We beat the teams we were supposed to beat. We ticked our box. We, I mean, I say we, we struggled. The te- two best teams in our, in San Diego are two top five teams. And then the other team we lost to is probably right around top 10, top 12. So like, we're not like getting smoked by bad teams, That's but good. we we're in that neighborhood. We're, we're in the second tier right now. Capable of, we're capable. We've beaten a couple of really good teams, but we're capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. We just aren't consistent. Yeah, so yeah. my voice, yeah. the fact that I have my voice is just means I didn't get to yell enough. And, but we qualify for nationals. I'm delighted. But because of that, I wasn't very active on the TikToks and the things that we'd like to continue to do that, but definitely hit us up and let us know what you're thinking. We appreciate every single one of y'all. And beyond that, give us a rating, give us a like, give us a star of any number, all the stars. <laughs> um, third star on the left and straight on till morning. Second star on the left. Second star on the left. Yeah. The, to get to us, it's the third star on the right and straight <laughs> on till morning. Um, who wants to go to a place with only pirates and children? It's just a weird, it's weird, right? So come on down to the podcast is on fire. We promise adults and mimosas. <laughs> nice. And chest bumps. Okay. Thank you so much. I got nothing else on this weekend week's uh, pod. What are you thinking, Lice? I'm good. Yeah, I, I put out there a lot this week. So uh, <laughs> there was a lot going on in my oh, head. Absolutely. Positively. I'm delighted. Thank you guys so much for bearing with us and we'll get this one out on time. But next weekend's we might have a bit be of delay. chapter seven through 12 of death masks. There may be a universe where that comes out on a Monday or Tuesday. Just the reality of us on another long, freaking ridiculous tournament. But either way, I'm excited to chew into it. And I'm glad we got started on this one. I have been Josh. I am Alyssa. Podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Last time they were in town, we were driving by a traffic stop, Mm -hmm. and I said, no justice, no peace, fuck the police, and I made her say it with me, Hmm. and she did. Of course she did. Is she six? Mm -hmm. Six-ish, yeah. She's a big Um, kid. A big girl. Well, she's too early to learn about social justice, Um, but uh, like months later, they were home. And uh, she told her dad, I'm allowed to cuss around Uncle Joshi. And he's like, goodness gracious. Are you? And Aaron's like, there's no way she re- she'll possibly remember. She can't remember what she had for breakfast today. She can't remember that, that chant from two months ago. Oh, and she goodness. said it perfectly. Of <laughs> and course said, she did. He said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Joshi. When she was in, yesterday, when I first saw her, they got into town this weekend. And she said, no. Uh, she made a point to tell me that she remembers no justice, no peace. Fuck the police. Oh, goodness. So, um,
If that's not A plus uncling, I mean, I really don't even know what is. You kill me. <laughs> it's think about how cute it is to hear her say, "No justice, no peace." Goodness. But Fuck still, the police. It's like absolutely adorable. 